0: The Colorado Equal Security Podcast
1: is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood.
0: Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode
1: 123 for the week of July 1st. Alex, we are halfway through the year already. It is hard to believe, Rob. This year is flying. Um, I'm excited this week, 4th of July. Get a little extra time off fireworks blow some things up. Every year
0: my my kids do a instead of doing a lemonade stand, they do an ice cream sandwich stand. Ooh. So they make homemade ice cream sandwiches out of these cookies and and ice cream and then they sell them in the neighborhood for a couple bucks each. Um you know, they make they make a 100 or so of them and I think it's like 250 a sandwich so they, you know, they make a couple hundred dollars minus 50 bucks for materials. It's a lot of money for 9 and 10 year olds. That is. Uh, if there's anyone listening who's like, "Hey, I need some ice cream sandwiches." My kids would love to to help you out. Rob will be happy to give you his home address so you can stop by there, and grab an ice cream sandwich. There you go. We, we, we sit out by the pool on the 4th of July and, and eat and sell ice cream sandwiches. Uh, it's coming up in just a couple of days. Uh, before we dive into the news this week, let's do a reminder. We have a Slack channel. This is a place where you can all get together, talk to lo- folks in the local security community. Uh, we have you know, almost 1,000 people, just shy of 1,000 people there. And if you want to sign up to join, uh, there's no secret invite. You don't have to reach out to get in. Just go to the front webpage for colorado-security.com and click on the Slack, mes- the Slack button there, and you can join
1: in. And while you're there, at the bottom of that webpage, you can sign up for our mailing list. Just enter your email, we will add you to the list, and you will be the first ones to get the show notes when they come out for every new episode. We would love it if you would uh, subscribe to the
0: podcast on your favorite listener, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, not Stitcher yet, but maybe we'll get there someday. Maybe one day. Um, uh, go ahead and subscribe there and rate us if you wouldn't mind. We only have like 37 ratings on, on iTunes, uh, so you could be the
1: 38th. We would love it if you'd be that person. And that's a pretty special number. Uh, also, please tell a friend, just pass the word along, let them know about Colorado Equal Security, the things that we're doing, the podcast, the website, the Slack channel, just tell them to come participate. And, and the last thing we'd say is if you want to support
0: even more, we do have a Patreon campaign. Uh, this is a way for you to help financially support the show. All this money goes directly back into the security community, uh, but this is so Alex and I aren't having to foot the bill for all of these costs. Uh, we we Just a big thanks to the current Patreons we have. that We really do appreciate your support. Um, it makes a big difference to us knowing that there's folks in the community who will uh,
1: lend their, their finances to make this work. Sure does. So let's jump into the news first. Denver is named one of the two finalist cities for the new National Medal of Honor Museum. It's between us and Arlington, Texas, right? Yeah, we had talked—I don't know—maybe a couple weeks ago about this possibility. Uh, Governor Polis was uh, pushing for it, and it sounds like we've we've made the final list. So we're at worst, we're going to be the number one loser. That's right. Yeah,
0: but uh, pretty cool. It'd be nice to have. I, I heard that there's a spot set aside, which is currently a parking lot on Colfax. I don't remember. I think Col- Colfax and Federal. I, I'm not sure about the federal part, but somewhere on Colfax.
1: Yeah. I feel like it was closer to downtown. But uh, in any case, um, looking forward to hear whether we get that or not. And it would be great if we do get it.
0: All right. Next, you know, there's always these, there's lots of lists in the world, right? And lists make the media go round. Yes. Um, but there, here's an, a new list, which uh, says nice things about Colorado. So we might as well talk about it. Um, this is. The, I think it's U.S. News and World Report's list of best um, small towns in America. And would you guess who number one on this list is, Alex?
1: Um, Alma, Colorado. So
0: close. Oh, Telluride. Telluride. Telluride, Telluride wow. is the number one small town in America. Um, that That's interesting. You know, I have personally
1: not spent time in Telluride. Have, have you? You know, I haven't spent a lot of time there either. Um, I have heard good things. And, um, you know, maybe I'll move it up on my list of places to go in Colorado. Um You know, there's, there's other spots in Colorado
0: that made the list as well. I think it was Steamboat Springs was number eight and Breckenridge at number 13. Yep. Um, Really, really cool stuff. As I was looking through this list, the full list uh, of 25, I was thinking, man, going to all 25 of these things might be a a good goal for,
1: for me and my wife. Yeah. I, I did note that a lot of them were on the coasts, many of them on the, the West and West coast and some of them on the East. Yeah. I think one in Alaska and a few others that are around, but it was interesting where the distribution of them was. A few in
0: Florida, and there was actually a few really close to Washington, D.C., like the the, the Virginia, Maryland um, area. Anyway,
1: interesting stuff. Uh, Next. Colorado's new blockchain leader says that potential government applications for blockchain are endless. Well, well this is uh, this is
0: a shocker. Is. <laughs> the blockchain person found blockchain uses. Uh, anyway, a cu- couple of interesting things from this story. Number one, you might remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about Governor Polis saying that his goal is that Colorado is truly the national hub for blockchain innovation. As a result, he hired a blockchain solution architect, Thaddeus Uh, Thaddeus Bat. And so Thaddeus is the guy who was interviewed in this article to talk about, you know, how his vision for getting Colorado to to really work with blockchain.
1: Yeah. And the article was a little bit interview of uh, of Thaddeus himself, you know, what he had done. He'd been a consultant previously um, and then also about blockchain. Um, I think, Rob, the shocker would have been if he would have said there is exactly one use case for for blockchain as opposed to that they're endless. Or if he said there was none
0: and, or he, none. To re- and he was resigning. Uh, and uh, <laughs> there, there, there's no way he would have said that. Yeah. So looking at the, uh, at the quote here, I, I did pull out one relevant quote. Um, and I, I actually thought this was interesting. He, he compared this to other technology innovations where things get really decentralized and people are all doing their own stuff in different versions of the, of the government. So Thaddeus's point is if if they have a centralized place to manage the blockchain innovation, uh, they can do it in a more economical way, more scalable way, and really reduce the, the cost of, of rolling this out to all the different agencies.
1: Well, I don't know about you, Rob, but I am looking forward to our blockchain future. I can't wait. Uh, next, 5G, uh, talking about future technology, is live in Denver now, um, but not everyone can use it.
0: Yeah, so they actually have five different areas that have uh, 5G rolled out. So Highlands, Lodo around Coors Field, um, Central Business District around the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, Capitol Hill, and the Denver Tech Center, the northern section, all have 5G rolled out. So if you're thinking to yourself, why am I not experiencing this this high speed? Well, it's because there's only four cell phones right now that Verizon has that actually support this.
1: Yeah, and also this is just Verizon. So you have to be a Verizon customer not one of the other cell providers, and you have to have one of these very few cell phones, which almost no one has.
0: And then if you're really lucky and you happen to have one of those four cell phones and you happen to be in one of those four areas, you can happen to go through your, your data plan in, and, and, you know, 15 <laughs> minutes.
1: Right. Yeah, there was some discussion on the Slack channel this week about, you know, the the expansion of, uh, of capabilities and speed you can get with 5G and, and how all of a sudden you'll be using up all of your data because uh, it is that much faster. So... All right. Uh, next story we
0: have is written by the Colorado Sun, and it was actually about women in technology. Tamara Chung, one of our favorite uh, reporters, uh, was is talking about the fact that, that there's now a group in Colorado, or at least partially in Colorado, that's looking to document and share a list of uh, technology achievements by women so it's not so easy to overlook their achievements.
1: Yeah, and there are actually a few examples in the article of those uh uh, those documentations that they had. One was around uh, the uh, computer science AP test in high school, and the increased participation that females have had on that test. Um, I- interesting article. Um, lots of detail in there. Pretty long article. So I think uh, it's part of the momentum, right? We, yeah. We've seen a lot of momentum
0: over the last couple of years that uh, you know we've recognized that there's not enough women in technology. There's not enough diversity. From a gender perspective in technology, um, and this is what one way that we can encourage it is by showing the people who have already had success, um, so that you know young girls coming up behind them can can say, "Hey, I'm, I'm not, I don't need to be the first. There's already good role models for me to pattern myself off of." So pretty cool stuff.
1: Definitely. Uh, next, the cybersecurity firm A Line is opening their second office in Denver. So a line is based out of Tampa, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, they're expanding and and putting a second office here.
0: So we actually had talked about a line, um, a little while ago. I think when they first announced it, what was especially interesting to me out of this is that the, the CEO of this company, um, he, he said, we're opening up our second office in, in Denver's Silicon mountain. He he said Silicon mountain. So, uh, I had no idea we were Silicon Mountain and I'm kind of excited about it.
1: I had never heard that term before either. So it is nice to know we have a nickname like other places.
0: I I, I think he came in just like pretending to know. and, And now he just coined an awesome new phrase. Uh, I I think that's definitely possible. Uh, so he did say that there's going to be 30 of the employees for the company here in Denver, out of their total staff about 250. Uh, pretty cool. That's a, going to be a good force, and I'm looking forward to meeting some of those people.
1: I'm sure at some point there'll be 250 here, and uh, you know, and none f- in Tampa. I mean, that, I that's love why. It. Yeah. Why would you stay in Tampa if you can be here, except for the beach?
0: Uh, <laughs> next, there is a, a a press release here from Ping. So so last week was Ping Identities. Uh, well, it's the identity industry's big security conference called Identiverse out in Washington D.C. And you know, similar to how security companies will do a lot of press releases during RSA conference, um, identity companies will do a lot of press releases during Identiverse. So there was a number of press releases. We kind of condensed down to one here. Um, th- this one here is around passwordless login and advanced MFA capabilities for the new uh, solution. Um, I had a chance to to review all this stuff in advance. So my my kind of summary of what Ping did uh, is they made it really easy for developers to incorporate one-click social login into Facebook with their applications. So kind of customer-facing identity improvements um, made it really easy. Well, they've now released Fido2 support that allows biometrics. So you can use the biometrics directly built into your laptop and or your Android device to to authenticate. So pretty cool stuff there. And new intelligent risk um, capabilities to help deny people, you know, based on risk of their authentication. So a lot of new capabilities coming out in the last week for ping um, and and a pretty cool release here. You can read about it. Yeah. Sounds
1: exciting. Next, uh, Boulder-based Circadence has created a program to gamify cybersecurity learning and it is being used through CU Boulder.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. The, The cybersecurity professor at CU Boulder, Laura Lee, who was actually a Circadence employee in the past brought that a uh, gamified experience into her class and says that the kids have really taken to this, you know, versus doing book learning and lecture learning getting this gamified uh, experience is probably a good way to teach people.
1: Yeah. And uh, there has been some research that shows uh, sort of multiple, multiple modalities of learning, help you learn and retain information uh, better. So that's, it's definitely cool to see that uh,
0: next coal fire has partnered with Qualys um, to, to bolster their automated services offering. So, you know, CoalFire, we talked not too long ago about their new scanning in the cloud service. It looks like they're now partnering with Qualys to do scanning as well. So I'm not sure if this means they have multiple ways to deliver the scanning or if this is taking the place of their other one. Uh, But hopefully soon we'll find out.
1: Yeah. And uh, I did notice this was in relation to FedRAMP. So I don't know if maybe it's possible that the the CoalFire service is not... FedRAMP certified yet and Qualys is hmm. uh, I, that could something like that. Yeah, that kind of augmentation. Uh, yeah, um, plus, you know, p- people may want to have choices. It's always good to have choice. Love it. Uh, next, Telstra Ventures uh, had an article about their investment in CyberGRX. So this is not a new investment in CyberGRX. It was from their the, the previous round that they had. I want to say like end of the year-ish or something like that. Something like that. Um, but this is just talking about how uh, Telstra is was involved in that round. And essentially, how they believe in CyberGRX, and uh, maybe we'll have them as potential customer.
0: So I'm sure there's a lot of folks who don't know Telstra. They are the biggest telecommunications company in Australia. Think of them like maybe an AT and T or a Verizon of Australia. Um, and as they've taken a stake in CyberGRX, you know, probably CyberGRX can can nudge them along to to pushing Telstra's vendors through the CyberGRX process, right? could be a real shot in the arm for them to, to get more vendors going through it and start to get that adoption that's so critical. You know, enterprises don't want to sign up for a service unless you've got their vendors in there, and vendors don't want to sign up for the service unless you've got their enterprises using it. Yep. You really have this chicken and egg problem that they can try and use someone like uh, Telstra to help get around. Sounds good to me. Uh, finally, the this is another reminder. The CISO of the Year award voting is open, or not not voting. The nomination process is open right now. So the link is in the show notes. Go in there, uh, click your favorite. Uh, click to nominate your favorite CISO. Uh, we'd love to have, you there's other categories as well. There's the CIO of the year and company of the year. So anyone- Project of the year. Project of the year. That's great. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Nominate who you think is right for any of those. Uh, and we'd love to, love to see those folks on the stage at Apex Awards in November.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right, that's the news. Let's move over to the Slack message of the week. Thanks again to Andre Gata for sponsoring the Slack message of the week. We really appreciate that. He has been a great support to us in the community through um, providing a $25 gift from the Colorado Cool Security Store for the winner of the Slack message of the week. Uh, so our winner this week is Travis Bradford or Travdog
0: as he goes by in the Slack channel. Uh, he really prompted a conversation around mentoring and you know, it, it turned into a, a chance for us to open a brand new channel. So we have a mentoring channel for people to talk about uh, those who want to be mentored, those who are who, who are mentors and who want to match up with folks. We are not running a, men- a mentoring program at Colorado Equal Security until some volunteer comes and says they want to do it. Uh, I, I have no interest in running a mentoring program. Yeah. Um, but it is in a nice new conversation and really a thing that we can do to help people with their careers and help the security
1: community in general. Awesome. So congratulations to Travis and Let's jump over and look at the events. All right. We have one event this week. that 4th of July week, so not a lot
0: going on. But on the 1st of July, SecureSet is doing one of their Capture the Flag events.
1: The following week, ISSA Denver is doing their July chapter meetings on the 9th and the 10th. On the
0: 10th, SecureSet is doing a Hacking 101, an introduction to PowerShell.
1: Ooh, that's exciting. Um, Colorado Springs, you know, they normally do a cybersecurity first Friday, uh, but because of the scheduling with 4th of July, they're doing a... Second Friday in July, and that is on the 12th. All right. That is it for events for the next two weeks. Not a lot going on with the
0: holidays. Uh, But moving ahead, we do have jobs to go through. There's a couple of open jobs at Ping. I actually have a few jobs in my product security area. So I'm I'm looking to hire um, a manager of product security and a product security engineer and an associate or a junior engineer in that area. So go out to the website
1: or reach out to me if you have questions, and I'm happy to talk to you about those positions. NREL is looking for a chief information security officer. So if you care about energy, and uh, research and want to be the, the CISO there. Check that out.
0: Yeah, uh, we talked we know Desiree Robinson. she was part of the uh, part of our panel at RMISC. She was the CISO over there and she's moved over to Survey Gizmo now, yeah. right? So uh, congratulations to her for that move as well. Kaiser Permanente is looking to hire a cyber risk defense consultant.
1: Comcast is looking for a security operations center lead. Tenable is hiring a security sales engineer in the Southwest. Pivot Point is looking for ISO 27001 lead auditors. VMware is hiring an information security architect. Canonical is looking for an Ubuntu security engineer. And Presidio is looking to hire an intern. So yeah, we did have uh, some people on the Slack channel this week uh, looking for internships still. So it looks like Presidio might be an opportunity might be an opportunity. Well, that is
0: it for the news this week. Uh, we do, you know, we have a little different, something different. We're doing this, this week in terms of our interview. Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of la- the show last week that Rob Winter, our friend and the CISO over at Boulder community health passed away last week. Um, this week, we're going to, we're going to rerun the interview that we did with him last year. Um, uh, Rob, you know, he's, uh, he's a close friend or not a close friend, but a friend of ours and someone who we do pretty well. Um, we, we do have an update on his, uh, on his end of life and um, wishes from his family. Um, so his body is going to be donated to science. So this was one of Rob's wishes. Uh, obviously, you know, he's been a big supporter of health for, for his whole career. And uh, he's excited to be able to do that, you know, with his body after his life as well.
1: Yeah. And uh, there are, there's going to be a, Uh, A celebration of life I don't know that we have a a time for that yet but as we get more information on that we'll definitely pass that along Um, Rob definitely wanted it to be uh, about fun and uh, about a celebration as opposed to you know, sort of a typical uh, funeral or mourning
0: and specifically asking people to wear their Hawaiian shirts. So uh, yeah. make sure you get your Hawaiian shirts ready for that. Um, in lieu of any flowers or cards, the family is working with Boulder Community Health Foundation to set up a, a donation page for the Center for Integrative Care. Um, once that page is set up, we'll make sure we share that out to you guys as well.
1: Yeah. And, and of course, Rob's family is asking for privacy during this time. So um, until we know more about the uh, the celebration of life. Uh, please give them some space and, and uh, let them mourn. All right. Well, that is it. Uh, enjoy this, this uh, interview with Rob um,
0: and we'll look forward to talking to you guys again next week.
1: Thanks Rob.
2: This is Rob Winter, Chief Information Security Officer at Boulder Community Health. Welcome to Out Equals Security. For Colorado Security Professionals and by Out Security Professionals.
0: All right, welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is our feature interview this week, and I am sitting down with Rob Winter, Rob, you are the CISO at Boulder Community Health. Um, and I want to hear all about what you're doing up at Boulder Community
2: Health, but first, uh, it's been a little while since you've given me an update. How many miles have you put on the bike in the last few years? So as of this, mor- or for this morning, you tell me, about 65 or no, I'm sorry, 3,500 miles for the year. 3,500 miles so far in, in uh,
0: 2018. And right now, we're just starting September as we're recording. So you're on track for 5,000-ish miles? It's if my about five to 5,500. And, and
2: so how, how do you get so many miles in? When, when are you finding the time for that? Get up early. <laughs> the easy answer is you, you get up at 5 a.m. Um, and the second the sun breaks, you're outside. And, and is this every day? Almost every day. So usually it's six days a week, oh, one day wow. off. Wow. And what does a typical ride look like for you? Uh, in the morning rides, they tend to be anywhere between 25 to 30 miles. Uh, weekend rides can be up to 75 miles, maybe even up as much as 100. And, and is that, it's not going
0: to work? You're, you're riding and going back home and showering and then driving into work? For so. the most part,
2: yes. You know, commuting-wise to go from my house to work is about 15 miles. And then coming home, because I go up towards the foothills, mm-hmm. ends up being about 20 more miles. So I can still get some in, but you know, then again, I'm a wimp. You know, with the heat, it's you know preferred just to get done, too hot, and then in start the, the day too hot in the afternoon. Exactly, and then go out there and you start the day uh, already refreshed.
0: So, is it does a thirty-mile ride take? Is that two hours? About an hour and forty. Because that's twenty miles an hour, a little little bit. Less. Somewhere between you know, eighteen, seventeen to eighteen okay. is usually what I average. Okay. And obviously, you're talking road riding. Where, what kind of roads? I don't know what, what part of town you're you're living in and riding in.
2: So I live in northwest Longmont. and okay. So a lot of the rides go up towards Lyons. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of old roads back there, roads that just aren't uh, well traversed with cars. So easy to go back up there and kind of just go get lost and enjoy nature. So what do you do when there's, there's snow and ice on the road? So there's a software package called Zwift, and it allows you to ride your bike. Uh, think of it as social media for bicyclists so you're able to ride with people from all around the world indoor cycling oh. but so they're over there so a lot of guys I ride with are from Great Britain yeah uh, or Germany especially in the mornings that's their evenings yeah so you'll be having you'll have a lot of people and just you get on there and you can do little chats with them uh, just through instant messaging huh. and you just start learning pe- with uh, learning about people from around the world so you're you're riding on a stationary bike, or are you riding on one of the a trainer thing for your own bike? So for mine, it's what they call a smart trainer. So okay. as you go up a hill, it gets more it gets harder. As you go downhill, it gets easier. So it really mimics the, the road huh. feel itself. And is it this is not using your normal bike though? This is like its free uh, its own standalone device. You could actually go ahead. There are ones like Peloton that you can go ahead and do that. But there's ones like mine, where you go ahead and attach it to your bike to your itself. normal bike. That's pretty cool. How long have you been doing this? So cycling wise, I started out when I was in high school, going ahead and racing until I blew up my knees shortly after I started college, Uh, got nice and fat. So got into IT. I don't know which came first, but you know, either way. Uh, Ended up deciding, you know what, I gotta get back in shape. So started doing that. Uh, Ended up going to the same hospital, so Boulder Community Health, to what they called at the time, uh, Boulder Center Sports Medicine and rehabbing with them. So even years before I started there, Went ahead and started working with those guys to rehab. Lost about 50 pounds. Wow. Started racing. Uh, started actually uh, doing fairly well in 2015, where you know started placing in the podium again. So. Wow. Uh, got nationally ranked in a time trial, which is that race against the clock. If you think about, you know, years ago, what yeah. uh, Lance Armstrong or Greg LeMond would win a lot at. Yeah. That's the same type of thing. It's you versus the clock. Wow. And so just, you know, enjoy, it's my Zen. You know, it's after a hard day at work or, you know, starting the day, like I mentioned, it's the way to go ahead and, you know, keep the mind fresh. That's awesome.
0: Well, let's, let's go ahead and back up. I
2: want to get your story. Where, where are you from? So predominantly from Denver. Okay. Uh, before that, military brat. Oh, uh, right. My dad was a JAG in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So predominantly was in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And then uh, after he got out of the military, moved to Denver. And basically from that point, born and raised. Um, so you came to Denver
0: as, as, as still in school, is that right? Mm-hmm. What oh, yes. school did you go to? So, you know, for high school, Regis High School. All right. And you, you graduated from Regis. What, what did you do after that? After
2: that, went up to Colorado State. So oh, up to Fort Collins. I um, well, I was for a whole year. Okay. So, you know, I'm one of those interesting stories where somehow I found myself on the football floor where the quiet hours between about five to about seven in the morning. And so um, after year one, uh, I was politely asked not to come back to, C- to CSU. So came back down to Denver, dabbled around a little bit, uh, was working at a bike shop, was working here at Turin in Denver. Um, And, you know, started trying out different things. You know, I was pre-law for a little while, uh, finance for a little while. Where were you going to school? Uh, Down at Metro. Metro, okay. And so just kept dabbling. And then uh, one of my friends who was already in IT went ahead and said, hey, you gotta try this. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we were talking about what to do and we decided to start our own web design firm. And so during lunch hours at the bike shop, I would go up to the roof to sit back, read an old HTML book. This was about 1996. And so it started doing it. This is before any WYSIWYG was around, where you just started hand coding everything. Yeah. So built the first, uh, my first website was for Turin. So they were the second bike shop in Colorado to have a website. So, you know, it's really kind of cool to actually get it out there. And we were having people coming from all over the state saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, I saw you on the web." They came in and would buy stuff. I saw your stuff.
0: rotating GIFs on the web, and I, <laughs> and exactly. I just had to come in. Yeah. Because there was no way to buy it on the web. No, That's no, for no. sure. <laughs> GIF89
2: was big at that point. <laughs> Uh, so so you, you kind of taught yourself? I, I very much taught myself. Yeah. So after a while, I um, you know, decided to leave the bike shop, did some contracting for a little while just to get my feet wet, get some experience, and ended up finding myself down at U.S. West. Hmm. Uh, I was part of a group called the Law Group Technology Services. They were the offshoot kind of rogue IT for U.S. West, but specialized in supporting uh, the legal group, public policy, which are basically lobbyists, HR, and then security. And so ended up doing a lot of Y2K projects for them, refreshing desktops and servers, and worked my way up to team lead there. Hmm. After a while, I uh, had some friends tell me that Quest was knocking on the door, get out now. Hmm. So went ahead and jumped ship, moved to JP Morgan. They started what they called their Wealth Advisory Center. Was that here in Denver? That was here in Denver. That okay. was in the tech center. And so right over by Oracle. Hmm. And so we, that lasted about almost a year. So that, that was supporting their poor millionaires. So a poor millionaire was defined as one year or one million up to $5 million in assets. To be a poor millionaire, yeah, it, it's a tough life, so. I'm not sure how, how those people would feel about being called a <laughs> poor millionaire. <laughs> that was the official term, unfortunately. So wow. um, unfortunately, they deemed it more of a startup and uh, that was right when the bubble burst. And so it was one of the oh, first yeah. casualties that happened with that. So found myself on the job market, I ended up moving to Pro Systems, and Perot, yeah. As an H. Ross Perot? That was him. Uh, but this is a few years after his presidential election. That was. Yeah. So it's 2001, moved to uh, Pro Systems, and they had the full outsourcing for a budget truck. So if you remember the old yellow rider trucks and now mm-hmm. the blue budget trucks, we had the full IT department. So mm-hmm. I worked there as a sysadmin, uh, worked myself up to the manager role. Uh, I remember a boss one time came to me shortly after I started. And she was like, you know something about security? I'm like, yep. Yeah. And she's like, great, teach our Security Administrator. And it was more access control at that point. Okay. So I kind of used it to my advantage, said, okay, I need a Spark Station, need a whole bunch of books, and once again, self-taught with this. Yeah. And so I just started reading up more and more, always dabbled in it. Um, you know, even at US West, did some investigations with them yeah. because EEO Group, which is more the investigative side of HR, how did you work with them on that one? So I'd always dabbled in it, but never had formalized it. So it was at Perot Systems
0: that you, you really
2: uh, went from being kind of
0: formal IT to really becoming a security professional. That
2: was actually, no, I stayed uh, formal IT at that point. It was a sysadmin, became yeah. the team lead, became the manager. Um, unfortunately, the account moved out to New Jersey and they gave me the option to move there, and I said, no. Mm. So I ended up doing other things with uh, Perot, did some project management for a little while. Then I made the formal leap back into security. Uh, And so started doing more SOC uh, uh, transformations, which is basically coming in, uh, take over our company SOC units. You say Security Operations Center, or do you mean like a SOC audit? A SOC, uh, as more moving the SOC to Pro Systems. The Security Operations Center. Security Operations Center. Got it, okay. And at that point too, I started dabbling a little bit back in school, so went to Regis University. Okay. Uh, That was right around 2003 is when I started back that's just when they started their security program. Uh, They had started- that's early. It was very early, but they, what happened is they had partnered up with the Air Force. And so there's a big presence of of Regis down in Colorado Springs, where they wanted to go ahead after September 11th to go ahead and start training on more about cybersecurity. So they had started one class down there and then they brought it up here to Denver. And so I was the first class with that. There were four core of us, four guys that started in that class. Okay. And it was four classes is all it was. It was basically yeah. a like security plus CSSP training class. Yeah, It wasn't heavy in technology, it wasn't heavy in a lot of things. Um, and that's when I started going to my professor and going, hey, have you looked at this book? Have you looked at that book? Yeah, And they ended up starting to adopt a lot of that those books. Yeah, So it started adding to it, and that's where I started feeling it was great giving back. Mm. Not just consuming, but at that point, giving back to the culture, mm. giving back to the community. So, it started, so did you end up getting a degree from Regis at that point? Got my bachelor's from there, okay. and they convinced me to go back for my master's hmm. um, with the, pretty much the, hey, we want you to start teaching as well. So I yeah. started doing that. When I graduated in 2010, they basically brought me on as an affiliate faculty. Affiliate just basically meaning you have a full-time job, but then you teach in the evenings. Hmm. And so I've been teaching now for eight years with them. And you've been doing that continuously the, for the last eight years. Uh, this semester is actually the first semester I can recall. That I have no classes I'm teaching. Okay. We just in eight-week chunks, so you're able to go ahead and sometimes I would teach eight-week one of a semester, and or sometimes just eight-week two. Yeah. But this is the first full semester I'm doing either. Off. And
0: now, is that is that because
2: you're you're done, or you're going to start again next semester, or what? Oh, I'll start again next semester, okay. and part of it was because I'm actually redesigning uh, oh, a couple okay. of courses. Mm-hmm reworking the curriculum correct so is that a job if, if you're reworking curriculum or is that a job
0: or is that just something you do so you can teach later
2: it's it's a job i mean okay, you, job. i definitely get paid for it right. but it's also because we have to keep the technology fresh we yeah. have to keep keep all the curriculum fresh if we don't it grows very still right. as you know very quickly sure oh, yeah, sure does um,
0: so you know we're jumping around a little bit the perot systems gig it looks like you did that through the end of 20 2007 while yep. you while you were still doing the research. actually and then
2: but I moved to another account in two thousand eight so I moved out to Stanford Hospital and Clinics okay and so they had the full IT outsourcing as well and so I was traveling back and forth between Colorado and San Francisco basically half time so you know had a nice apartment out there you know stayed out there fly back on, you know every other week to see the family yeah. and go right back out so it was very fun very educational got to play with a lot of toys being in the Bay Area. A lot of companies wanted Stanford as a name, so it's great to go ahead and just try different things out, try different yeah.
0: technology. And it, you were the security architect there at Stanford. I was a security architect, and then eventually moved my way into security manager. Okay. Um, and and any, it looks like
2: that was four four years there. Huh? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good run. Um, and what was the highlights? Best thing you did there. Best thing I did there was being told by the CIO that she would put our security team against any other healthcare security team. Oh, that's neat. Thinking. And so to hear that from uh, basically Stanford is up to, I believe, the top seven hospital in the nation. To be told that, that was very much of a pat on the team's back. Yeah. And knowing that I had a part to play in that with the whole team, you know, yeah. that was a great thing. That's really cool. Um. And you were there through 2011 till the end of 2011. What happened there? Yeah. So one of my bosses from Stanford moved up, became the CIO for University of California San Francisco Medical Center, mm-hmm. so UCSF, and asked me if I'd want to come up there and be their CISO. And so thought about it for a little bit, talked to the family, and decided let's move up there. What was the? Is it because it's a you know the next step up in your career as in terms of, of title, title and it. it That point is the number five hospital in the nation. So moving up in the world. Okay. And so it was, you know, kind of getting more exposure uh, and able to run it my own team at that point. So not just under my CISO at Stanford, but running it as the CISO. And I talked to my boss at Stanford and he said, I'd be foolish not to. Hmm. It was just a great opportunity. Yeah. So did that for two years, Uh, very educational. Uh, Even though Stanford was academic, being state academic with UCSF, it was just, it wasn't the right culture for me at that point. You know, I found myself working 16 hour days, very much the Bay Area type of environment, uh, you know, traveling back and forth between Walnut Creek where I lived. I would take the train out at 6 a.m., get back somewhere around 9 p.m., and then, you know, say goodnight to the kids and immediately start working again. Uh, There'd be weekends where I knew my boss was watching. He was a big Texas Rangers and San Francisco Giants baseball fan. So all of a sudden the emails would start flooding in as he was watching the game. So there wasn't a lot of downtime. Hmm. And it was, it it definitely, I recognized it back in 2013, when for Christmas, I just shut everything off and I could feel my blood pressure coming down. Hmm. So I figured at that moment, I would go ahead and have a heart attack if I didn't step back. And Hmm. for the family, they're like, it's time. So ended up moving back. We had our house in Elizabeth, so I moved back in there. So Elizabeth, Colorado. You already had your house ready to come back to And so, you know, did that. And an opportunity came up with Boulder Community Health. So did you move back before you had the job or you? you I figured? had actually started. So there was also one other little part, which was they were consolidating IT of both the campus and the med center for UCSF. Yeah. And so IT security was also part of that. Kay. They offered me the campus role, uh, but because it's, you either got it or you didn't. If you didn't, nice yeah. knowing you, yeah. I was applying at that time. Yeah, and so just for fun, you know, I was already applying back here in Colorado. Yeah, and the job opened up, and so you know, at, right around Christmas time is when I got the offer. Right when I was shutting things down, and it really solidified the decision to move back. to Colorado, and that's the offer from the Boulder Community That's from, yeah, correct. Yeah. Now it sounds like
0: you know, from what you said, you know, Stanford and UCSF, being you know, top ten hospitals. I assume. Boulder is Boulder Community Health is a significant you know, step back in terms of size and scope of what you're working on.
2: To an extent. You know, part of it is being true to yourself. You know, so I looked at kind of where did I have the most fun? Yeah. You know, Was it with the big teams? That, you know, Stanford, I had a team of 50 people because I had an active director underneath me as well uh, besides access provisioning and operations. And so it was good to have big teams, but then when you can make an influence, mm-hmm. having small teams, that was really valuable too. And so part of it's because I was teaching, I had to stay technical. Um, you know, some of these CSOs, they're, they're definitely more administrative at points. You start losing a lot of the technical capabilities. I enjoy it. So why not go back to something where it's a smaller team and you can have more direct influence on patient care? Yeah. Well, so for those who don't know, why not you tell us about Boulder
0: Community Health? what's the what does this health system look like? What's it made up of? And so we're one
2: hospital, and we're just sure. about 30 clinics, so yeah. very small. We're Boulder and Bloomfield counties only, so we're not going to really extend outward. We're going to open an, uh, an urgent care clinic in Erie, so that's Weld County, but we're just barely creeping over the county mm. line at that point. Uh, we just, we're just we really serving the community itself. We're one of only two community hospitals left in Colorado, mm. so we're very much small but very much focused on the community. What's the other community hospital? Yeah, be Pueblo, curious. there's one down Pueblo. Pueblo, all right. Everyone else, you know, people the long holdouts like Estes Park, they finally rolled over to someone else just because they needed help. What does it mean if a hospital is a community hospital, and and then what are the other options? So, nonprofit, very much focused on the commercial. So we have a lot of, you know, Centura surrounding us. We have Banner, we have Health One, we have University of Colorado Health, surrounding our area, and so we're just we're not a big conglomerate. We're we're a one hospital organization. Yeah. yeah, I mean, wouldn't University of Colorado Health be a nonprofit too? No? They're state. They're not nonprofit. What's the difference?
0: So, just, it's just how. <laughs> the, state, the state's not. It's is, how you file there, taxes. They're, ma- they're making money as well, though. And you, you guys are basically a nonprofit organization. We're a 501c3. And how many employees do you guys have total? Total, we're just hovering right around 2,000. And I assume most of those are in clinics or in the hospital. Correct. Kind of patient facing. Is there a corporate back office side that's.
2: You know, it's not, I don't know how exactly how you break it down. I'm thinking like there in a There is back a office. I mean, world. you have finance. So you, yeah. you have departments uh, like uh, patient financial services, uh, decision support. You, of course, have HR on the back end. Yeah. So you do have those And is that, in,
0: is that in your own like corporate office away from the
2: clinic? They're stuff? spread throughout hmm. Boulder. In the clinics themselves? Then? It could be in a clinic. It could be like in our building. It's, you know, so we have what they call HIM. So that's medical records is another term for that okay. one. So that's NARS. Um, just wherever there's room, basically. And, and where you sit, you, is it just a building just for? It's a building about hours. six minutes walk from the hospital. Okay. And, but for us, it's wherever we can put it because the critical, as you were mentioning, those are the ones that are patient uh, facing. Yeah. So you really wanna make sure all the good spaces, those are first and foremost yeah. for the, the, the front line. So you got there in January of 2014,
0: it Correct. looks like. Um, so you've been you know, coming up on five years pretty soon. Mm-hmm. That'll, be, that'll be great. Um, what was it like when you got there?
2: So interesting because I was the first security officer there. So they had a security program that was run by the CIO and then the director of infrastructure, but it had never had that true, as a lot of guys know, that true security focus there. Right. So I walked in the door, went from my roughly about $4 million budget at UCSF to a whopping forty thousand dollars And one of the first things they did is say, can we take some back? So it's like, how can I, what can I do with that kind of money? Yeah, and what could I do to be creative? So as most people, go, as most uh, security guys do, they go in there. Let's do an assessment. Let's do an overview of the environment. Let's figure out what's working, what's not. A lot of stuff was working right. A lot of stuff needed to be tweaked, and then we have was able to build my program from there. Right. My experience has been if you go to a place that was run by
0: where the security was run by IT, what that really means is uh, it's not it's not a program in any way. It's it's they do. The things that they are aware are important for security, but not necessarily documented, not repeatable, um, maybe, maybe not even actually happening. But may, maybe they invested at some point. What were the, what were the areas that you said, you know, when you first came in, you said, hey, we've really got to get some programmatic,
2: um, some, some some programmatic approach to these things. So uh, disaster recovery was one sure uh, back in 2013, they had Meditech, which was their major EHR, so electronic health record system mm-hmm. went down it was publicized and you know, so it's what do we need to do to get that up and running to get actual tests in place, get it documented? That was a big one. yeah uh, other ones are uh, security awareness hmm. so that's one that you know we're still constantly doing, of course because it's a continual effort. And then the other thing is just more formalizing, a, a visibility of the network, so I started bringing in some technology to see both east-west and north-south. Hmm. So getting that visibility, and, and but trying to do that with without a budget,
0: really, right? Correct.
2: So, so it's very creative. You know, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of it was opex. Started reaching out to a lot of my vendors in the uh, the Bay Area, saying, okay, what can you guys do to help us? You know, and, and definitely played the, hey, we're a community hospital. Right. We don't have a lot of money. You know, compared to a lot of companies. You know, our margins are two to 3% on the high end. You know, if we hit 5% margins, we are doing excellent that year. Hmm. You know, as a community hospital, you're trying to keep it as close to cost as you can so that it really helps the community. So there's not a lot of money to go out there and go from, like I said, UCSF, I had a $4 million budget and then going way down and, you know, asking for more isn't always there. If you have a choice between a million dollar Nuke Med machine to help a patient to scan them uh, or a million dollars of a security program, which one are you going to go with? Right. And always you should go with patient care, you know, first I wouldn't foremost. say always. I mean, there's, there's got to be an equation
0: there, right, where you figure out, you know, what is the overall good that can be done from, from these expenses, Correct, right? you
2: start being creative. You start yeah. figuring out what you can do. So instead of building up a team initially, I outsourced to, at that time, it was solutionary. I have now entity security uh, just because I had no budget, no team. Yeah, and so you know, there are things that they did well, and things that you know, as they became a big company, they they had some growing pains, sure, as well. Uh, But it was able to at least get me by in the meantime, get me visibility where I didn't have to hire a twenty four seven staff, right?
0: And you know, one of one of the ways that companies might look to to save that budget money is if they can go after. uh you know, open source software to perform some of those tasks, you know, using Security Onion versus using Snort or, you know, there are lots of examples like that. Do you have an
2: opinion on that? Did, are you a fan of going after the open source tools or, or? We're looking right now possibly going with Bro. Yeah. So CU's done, from what we've heard, an excellent job at have Bro throughout their environment. Yeah. And so we might actually do the same thing. Just, you know, we have to look at what's the right solution and the right cost for us. So right. it's looking at everything. It's not saying commercial only, open source only. What's the nice blend between the two? What
0: is the what's the risk? What's the risk? Uh, the big threats for Boulder Community Health. Obviously, you're thinking about um, patient safety, um, but obviously, we, we see a ton of ransomware attacks that are hitting health organizations. And uh, what kind of things are you
2: most thinking about? You know, maybe the keeping you up at night type of a question here. So everything from you know it could be simple loss of data records nothing malicious happens yeah. to when you look at healthcare on the full spectrum it can go up as high as death mm-hmm. so you know if someone was to modify a pump some kind of infusion pump at that point and either give too much or too little medication at that point someone could die so right. it's really looking at the full gamut behind it and then trying to figure out you know of course it could be from an insider it could be from an outsider ransomware you had mentioned that one that, that's a, a definite threat because right now, hospitals unfortunately have paid it. Right. And so the bad guys know this is an opportunity to go ahead and get paid. Yeah, you
0: mentioned the first, you know, one of the first things you did was disaster recovery, um, which I assume is, is all, you know, starts off with all about backups, right? And figuring yeah. out which systems are backed up and do those backups work and all that. How else do you think about defending against the, these threats? You know, you, obviously the, there's a lot on the line with, with potential death and, um, Unavailability of health services. What are the what are the key fundamental things
2: you're working on to, to try and avoid those? A lot of those is practice the basics, you know, the, the, the blocking, tackling. Yeah. Uh, you know it's football season, so I'll use that as an analogy. Uh, it's making sure we have visibility in the network, making sure that we actually have. So we just recently, about uh, almost a year ago. Bought logarithm so uh, okay. their, par- their office is actually right across the street from our parking lot. Uh, so you know we're, it, it was a great partnership. You know we're their hospital, so uh, they, they definitely helped us out, saying it up and getting it up and running. So it's getting more visibility mm-hmm. into the environment uh, stuff that we just we didn't have fully at that point. With NTT, as good as they were helping us, uh, you paid per system that you had in there, so it got very costly to get more visibility. Right. With logarithm yes, you pay messages per second, but at the same point. We could put a lot more in there, we could go ahead and filter a lot better, right. and we really were able to you know do that. So that's the basics. It's making sure we stay up top with, you know, they didn't have a threat vulnerability management program. So they had no scanning when I came in there. Sure. So it's giving them the basic information of what do they need to do, the operations team needs to do to go ahead and keep the system up to date. You know, we're not doing anything radical there, nothing pseudoscience type of stuff. It's it's really the basics. Sure. You know, it's stuff that every security company should be doing. Yeah, every program should be doing that stuff.
0: Uh, what about compliance work? Do you, uh, obviously, you have to be HIPAA compliant. Um, is that is that a big part of your job?
2: HIPAA and PCR are two regulations we got to deal with, yeah. and so definitely, you know, when I talk to the board, they're always asking about the stats of that. Sure. Uh, you know, I'd say there's things that we I, I I try to have a critical eye and say we're doing things well, and there's things that we are are working our ways towards doing sure. things well as with any company, you're constantly looking at how can I keep improving the program itself? Yeah. Uh, but HIPAA is one, HIPTA, HIPAA though, it's not as prescriptive as PCI. So there's some stuff yeah. inside of high-tech that it made a little bit more prescriptive, but it's, you know, you have a lot of things where they're either required or addressable. Sure. And so it's just, it, it's the minimum bar is how I look at it. And yeah. no one wants to be at the minimum level.
0: Yeah, Are you, have you guys looked at all at, at high, um, high trust? Mm-hmm. Is that something you guys have gone
2: after or going to go after? Part of it's we're seeing where the Office of Civil Rights, so OCR, they're the enforcement wing for uh, HIPAA, yeah. where they're gonna go with it. Cause they're kind of like they're going after the NIST framework, but then again, HITRUST has elevated their program to now include part of the, hmm. the NIST framework. So where's the happy medium point? So yeah. you know our f- framework right now is kind of a blend of the two. Of, of the NIST cybersecurity framework and, and, HITRUST. and HITRUST. HITRUST from everything
0: I hear, and, and I haven't ever been HITRUST certified, um, it, it sure looks like it's a, a pretty daunting one. It's you know more, uh, more rigorous than something like a SOC 2 or an ISO certification or even PCI from everything I hear. Is, is, that, is that your impression of it as well?
2: So I got certified in HITRUST back in 2010. Yeah. Um, and for, from what I've seen, it depends on how far you want to go with it. If you want to self-attest, then you know it's you can go ahead and do it. They get um, at least as of a couple of years ago, they had a spreadsheet that was really nice. Now they moved more of an online archer type of system. Mm. But you can go ahead and say, I'm this big of an organization, I have these concerns, and it will go ahead and kind of build what requirements of the framework apply to you. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be fully daunting. So if you're you know a couple doctor clinic, you know, a standalone clinic, it doesn't have to be 500 questions for you. But if you're a big healthcare organization, yes, you're gonna want, of course, to have a deeper look, yeah. because you're gonna have a lot more avenues where some, a bad guy could come in. Yeah, so,
0: so it sounds like the, la, you know, the last four years or so, you've really been focusing on getting the blocking and tackling in place, being able to you know, show a repeatable program. What's next? You know, how are you finished in 2018 and 2019? What's gonna be your priorities?
2: So the priority is we're switching our electronic medical record system. So as I mentioned, Meditech's the big one we have for inpatient, and we have another one called Greenway for ambulatory. Okay. Uh, but we're going to go to Epic. So that's kind of a big name inside So you're replacing of those other two those other with two, Epic? with Epic. Okay. And so that's the big priority right now for the whole organization is switching over. And, and what is the, you know, from a security perspective, how, what, how does that impact you? Uh, thankfully not heavily because access provisioning is not part of my team. That's part of the service desk. Okay. team. So you know, a lot of mine is more the architectural design sure. and validation. So we're going through you know the different both not just epic but the partners of epic making sure they meet our standards yeah but you know from a lot of the actual effort itself it's not a huge impact it's definitely an impact because there's only two of us on my team right now yeah so it's you know a lot of work for two people but it's still it's not as bad as some of the other teams and is that does that take you through 2019 or how, how much october time? 2019 so october yeah, 1st so 2019 year, okay. is our target date for the go live
0: and, and then you're so that's going to be your number one priority. Any, any other stuff that you're going to try and squeeze in around the edges there?
2: You know, I thought about it and you know, just finished up my uh, budget predictions for 2019, because yeah. we're on the calendar year, and decided, you know, a lot of the bl- blinky lights, it's not worth it because a lot of the stuff that we want to do, we would need help from the infrastructure team. Yeah. And they're so you know, working on Epic, focused on Epic, that at that point, it's not worth it. So sure. the other uh, gentleman, Brian, and I were just going to be working on taking the systems that we currently have and keep getting more out of them. Yeah. So, you know, keep tweaking it, keep getting better at them. Yeah, I
0: think, I think that most companies out there could, could do with taking a year to just optimize what you already have and uh, maybe honestly get rid of a couple of things you already have and, <laughs> yep. and get
2: better at the stuff you don't get rid of. Exactly. And especially nonprofit, we always look for areas to, you know, if we can drop something because yeah. something else can do the same thing, we do it. Yeah. So what's the you know, biggest lessons you've learned over, over the last few years there at, at Boulder Health? So one of the biggest lessons, and this is more from a personal level than an information security level, is that it's not worth stressing over things. Mm. So when you ask, you know, what keeps me up at night? The answer is not much. Yeah. You know, as long as I go ahead and let my board know, let my, what we call management counsel, so our VPs and our CEO know, and they accept the risk, not a lot keeps me up. Mm. And a lot of that goes back to back in 2015, I was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer. Mm. So it had spread from uh, the colorectal region to my lungs, to my liver. And you start realizing what's important in your life. And the answer is not much, you know, not much. It takes, it's worth that level of stress, worth that level of just sleepless nights, Right. Uh, short of fighting. You know, I have three kids, you know, my eldest now just started college. And so my, uh, I have another son who's in high school, junior in high school, and I have a daughter who's a seventh grader. Hmm. And it's really, what am I doing to stay around for them? Uh, you know, I've been very fortunate very lucky um you know there's hardly any other way to say it i've been able to you know keep riding the bike you ask me how many miles i've ridden um as far as since i was diagnosed 37 months ago have just about 17,000 miles on the bike yeah Uh, i've been able to race. uh i've I've raced five times now Uh, i did a time trial in my age category Uh, i took two months or rather two weeks rather off of chemo back in march and placed 7th out of 17 in my age group Mm. so to know that i'm getting hit with that much chemo Uh, and I've had radiation now, and still be able to work, still be able to function, still be able to teach, you know, that's where I thrive off of this. You know, Mm. just not that much stresses me out anymore. It's just not worth it. So that's probably the biggest lesson that any of us can learn, is that at the end of the day, you know, it can be stressful, but how much you have to absorb the stress doesn't have to be there. So would you say that, you know, in the last
0: three years since you, you got the diagnosis that the, the the fundamental change for you has been kind of a percept, a perspective shift. Is that is, oh, that is that the biggest change? tremendously yes yeah um, any any thoughts for how other folks can try and get that kind of a perspective shift without having a diagnosis of cancer? <laughs> yeah yeah
2: that, that's one of those yeah. things. It's part of the club that you never want to join. Yeah, right? So yeah, it's definitely not a good thing. Um, you know. A lot of it is just realizing that, you know, there's vendors who call and say what keeps you up at night, as you just mentioned, Um, you know, if people are saying, hey, this is going down, you know, sometimes you just gotta let work go. You know, there's times that, you know, I I look at Brian's, my coworker, and I say, you're you're just looking exhausted right now, go home. Hmm. You know, I already know he's gonna work at home anyways, um, but it's like, go get a break. You know, take tomorrow off type of thing. Hmm. It's not worth stressing, you know, where you can. Think of it as we're all running a marathon. You can't run a marathon as a sprint, but so much of us were, are, and that's when I was in California at UCSF, that's what I was doing. I was just constantly, you know, work, 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 you know, yeah. I was, and it wasn't work, Is was trying to exercise a little bit, um, and it was spend time with the family. But there's a point where you just can't. So you have to learn of when there is downtime, take advantage yeah. of it, you know, just go ahead and find something. If you don't have a hobby, find one, yeah. you know, do what you enjoy. And it may be security, security is one of my hobbies. You know, I, I like to say it's the hobby that pays but it finds something else that can take you away you know maybe it's reading a good novel maybe it's you know in my case exercise you know maybe it's taking uh, going taking the kids out back and hitting the, the ball with them yeah. you know playing some catch whatever you can do you know it's finding something that you have as that outlet because at the end of the day you're going to look back and on your tombstone it's not going to say he was the best security guy he could try to be. Right. You know, it's always going to say trying to be the best husband, the best father, the best right. son that you can be. Um, from my diagnosis, I have an eight percent chance of living past five years by the numbers. That means ninety-two other people have to die for me to live hmm. past five years. And if you I mentioned I'm month thirty-seven now. Yeah. So I have to look and say, what am I going to do with the next twenty-four months to make an impact? Hmm. You know, I'm not slowing down with teaching. You know, still doing that. Uh, Doing some curriculum redevelopment for regis and so what can i do to get back to the community itself yeah. when you're looking at how much time is there now those numbers of course they don't define me right. you know, they don't find any of us unless we let them and so if i go ahead and lose so be it you know i was talking to a friend who played football in college and he's kind of asking you know my thought on this night i said coach never taught me to lose which is basically think about when you were playing sports as a kid or if you have kids in sports The coach never says hey you know rob you got a 33 percent chance of losing today go team go get clobbered right you know it's always talk you up try to do it and it was very sobering a year ago that the nurse who checked me in and taught me initially about what chemo was because you go through a a class of it Mm -hmm. she and i were having a very frank conversation and i was saying hey here's how i'm doing on the bike and here's i'm still working and she's she paused for me for a minute and said honestly i didn't expect you to be around right now so even though she had she ended up retiring. So with 30 plus years of experience, yeah. she didn't think I'd be around. And so that was kind of very, uh, a somber a sobering, sobering statement, yeah. isn't it? It was th- to think about yeah. that. And that was part of what made me realize stress isn't worth it. Yeah. We're always gonna have something with security. You know, We're trying to plug up the 20,000 different holes in the system. The bad guys only need to come through one. Right. And so how do I you know, prioritize? And can I do all twenty thousand at once? And we all know that's impossible. Hmm. So it's really looking at where's the risk behind it, and then where can I go ahead and attack first, second, third, but not try to take on the hundredth, the one thousandth hole right away. Yeah, the I'll say
0: and obviously as we're talking about it now, your your approach is amazing, and it's something you know you should be very proud of how you're how you've handled this. But you know, for the last few years, we've talked about this you know dozen times or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, just. It, Wild, widely in the community, it's you're well respected for how, um, just I'd say how straightforward you are about about your diagnosis and and, and the work you're doing and and how it 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 has it's only been a positive thing to to see the way you've reacted. And I'm sure you must have some really tough days. Uh, I know radiation and chemo do that, but you know you are you've uh, you've been extraordinarily resilient through that. And, i think you know i think you're well aware there's nothing wrong with having tough days but Mm -hmm. um, the
2: ability to bounce back from that and 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 come back it's been it's been something worth uh, worth admiring but that's part of it too is realizing a lot of people have it worse than i do not Mm -hmm. just with cancer but other diseases sure you know once that we're you know talking about like pat bolins in the news a lot and his wife having alzheimer's you know to me that would be so much worse you know here i have a fighting chance you know right now they don't have the cures and so what do you do and You know, that's where I, I find a lot of my inspiration is that, you know, I, every time I go in for chemo and right now, as of th- about three months ago, they switched me over to an oral version of chemo. But every week I was going in for, they would stick a needle in my chest and I get pumped with chemo. I'd go in for 50 hours to come off the next week. I go for an hour and just keep repeating that cycle. And we've now been through 75 rounds of chemo. And, you know, I look at that and go, people have it worse than I do. With those 50 rounds of chemo, you feel awful. But as part of the security mindset with that, I started trying to figure out how can I hack my own body? You know, when I first started going back and started writing, my oncologist said, hey, be careful, you're on chemo. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? You know, yeah. It's the it's, it's, don't crash, basically. Right. And, and you're, you're going to be more exhausted. And then after a couple months of him hearing how I was doing and seeing my numbers, he's like, whatever you're doing, keep it up. Yeah. And what I started figuring out is after chemo. I'd get on my indoor bike, so I'd I'd go do chemo from Monday to Wednesday, get on my indoor bike on Thursday, and I'd ride for about 40 minutes. And it was hellacious. It was not fun whatsoever. But I started figuring out that my body would then start recovering quicker. Hmm. Once the chemo's in the body, having it hang around in the system doesn't help the body, only keeps tearing it down. Hmm. So the sooner you can recover, the stronger you get. So I would go ahead and be able to ride the bike, and then all of a sudden the adrenaline the endorphins would kick in, and you'd feel better. Hmm. And then the next day, I'd do an hour. And by the time I hit the weekends, I would do a lot more. And, and it was just, it's learning what the body could and couldn't do. And so on my 50th round of chemo, my oncologist, the main oncology nurse that I had said, hey, why don't you ride your bike into the, into the uh, chemo, to get chemo. And f- for those that, you know, if you know where Longmont is, and I go to Midtown Rocky Mountain Cancer Center, which is over between downtown Denver and City Park. That's about 42 that's miles way. each way. And so I said, you know what, for around 50, let's do 50 miles. So I, according to them and the first person who ever rode their bike in the chemo, but that's hacking that body. Well, so how'd you get back? My wife, right. My wife I know. <laughs> after chemo, it was a hot day, it was in July. So I was like, no, I'm not gonna go ahead and you know, yeah, go ahead and ride back. Seems like the right choice. Yeah, oh, it was definitely it for that day. But it inspired other people in the oncology office as well, other patients, you know, they came up yeah. to me afterwards, say, hey, I need to get back on my bike. Yeah. And that's that hacker mindset, that security mindset that a lot of us have, is, hey, we can do something that it's been designed to do, but let's do something different with it. Yeah. You know, it's not taking no as an answer, it's taking it to the point of, my oncologist was basically, I told him one time what the mileage I was doing, and he's like, that's low for you, isn't it? So we'd done that full pendulum swing it's very much, it's doing what we do every day with security. It's yeah. taking it to the next level.
0: That's great. I mean, it's such an inspirational story. I thank you for sharing it. Uh, you know, we're getting close on time here. I want to give you the chance. Is there, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd like
2: to, to talk about a little bit? So other things I've done to, you know, give back community, and it's, it's more of trying to get other people to do it. Sure. So, you know, it's, so I'm also part of the CompTIA Cybersecurity Board to so their advisory board, and so you know, if you want to have, blame me for the Security Plus, the, the cybersecurity analyst now coming up the pen test plus and the CASP, uh, you know, or, uh, the CASP uh, certification, you know, those are stuff that we talk about. Um, it's get out there, have every other person, you know, get out there, start volunteering, starting yeah. in the community. I mean, you've done a great job. Uh, you know, we were talking before the podcast started about I started with ISSA Denver in two thousand and five, and you know how that's changed so much. Uh, it just you know, for the good, and how much you and Alex have changed it from being a very vendor-centric environment to being very much a security-focused, uh, very much of a you know security team member. Yeah, community. It's a community Yeah I do want to give a shout out to,
0: to James Johnson, who's now running the chapter and
2: uh, continuing on with the you know, keeping the vendors out of out of the talks. Yeah, and then the other thing is because you know, like we talked about, me working at Regis for everyone else, get involved. Yeah. You know, with that, whether you go volunteer and talk at a class or you go ahead and teach, you know, if you want to do that, give back to the community because mm. you never know what you get out of it. Yeah. Uh, when I went to UCSF, I was told I'd never be able to hire a team out in the Bay area and a couple of the people, I brought it out from Colorado, mm. you know, people I, uh, nerd guy I had met. Uh, yeah, no, no more Colorado taking Spring.
0: Colorado people out of the state. We need to keep them here. Yes,
2: but in a way it's my own farm team. Yeah. So I very much get to pick and choose because i have been able to watch people as they progress, yeah. and that's great. You know, as a security leader, you're able to go ahead and give back and get back. Yeah, as well. that's awesome.
0: Uh, well, this has been awesome, Rob. I'm looking forward to to seeing you know what amazing things you do uh, in the next couple of years, and um, we'll keep we'll keep in touch and hopefully we can get to you on the show again soon. Great. Thanks right. very much. Thanks a lot.